Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's time for the show. Um, oh, where is everybody? Um, <clears throat> uh, hi there. I'm Kermit the Frog, and we're, uh, well, we're, we're almost ready. Fonzie? Gonzo? Piggy? Last call for the Walt Disney World Railroad, now departing for a grand circle tour around the Magic Kingdom. Stopping at Main Street Station. Last call. Board? That's why I'm a router for me computer. Everybody needs a friend. What? W. Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 201 the week of December 19th, 2010. This week, we'll take a closer look at the history, story, and details of a restaurant in Walt Disney World that many people consider to be an attraction in itself. Our DSI, Disney Scene Investigation, takes us to stage 14 in Disney's Hollywood Studios and back in time as we grab some popcorn, hang a speaker on our convertible, and tune in to the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater. I'll have just a few announcements and play some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. at this drive-in theater, where you will see the finest motion pictures of all time soon to be released. Drama, comedy, adventure, excitement, something for everyone. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. I always talk about eating in Walt Disney World as dining experiences, many times because of the food, the location, the ambiance, the decor, sometimes even because of the cast members themselves. And one location in Walt Disney World that affords guests a unique lunch or dinner that truly is an experience because it encapsulates all of those elements and more can be found over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And if you're looking for a meal and a show, Inside the parks, you may want to try the sci-fi dine-in theater. Of course, restaurants are more than just about the food. They're about the details and the story. So I thought it would be fun to take a closer look inside one of these restaurants. And joining me on this DSI, Disney Scene Investigation, is Nate Parrish. He is the host of Wedway Radio, the co-host of Beta Mouse, He's also a former Walt Disney World cast member who worked at Sci-Fi. So, Nate, I'm psyched to have you on. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Wedway and Beta Mouse, so um, I'm happy awesome. that, that... Yeah. So, um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about 
you working at Walt Disney World? How did you, we know you were a college program guy or you just sort of, you know, packed up your bags and, and moved down to Orlando? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, um, I, I applied for the college program in, uh, 1996 and was, uh, I was really hoping to get the Jungle Cruise. That was really what I wanted. So <laughs> I told them that. But then they looked at my resume and noticed that I'd worked at restaurants like, you know, for the past four years and uh, gave me a position in full service restaurants. And I had no idea what I was going to get. And you actually, I'm not sure if they still do it like this, but you get down on, there on college program and you find out like the, the first day what your location is. And I looked, I opened my folder and it said sci-fi and I, I, I loved the sci-fi. I'd been there before, uh, two times with my family and I saw that and I was very excited. So I ended up with the sci-fi there, worked there in the fall of 96. Uh, and then I stayed on actually, and I worked there into 1997. So had a great experience there. Yeah, you were probably happy it didn't say something like Captain Jacks, and you're like, all right, sci-fi is <laughs> awesome. So, so what did you do at sci-fi? Were you front of the house, back of the house, a little bit of both? Yeah, um, well, my experience had always been waiting tables. I'd worked at, you know, local chain restaurants and things like that here uh, here in Kansas City. And uh, But you can't, you can't wait tables if you're on college program because they take the rent out of your check. <laughs> so I end up hosting, which is not a bad gig. But uh, hosting is great because you got like seven or eight different positions. You don't end up doing the same thing all day. You can be an outdoor greeter, an indoor greeter, a seater. A food, uh, I'm sorry, a table assigner, um, do all sorts of jobs, like seven or eight different jobs, goes by really fast, and you have a great time dealing with guests. And uh, so I put on the uh, put on the costume there every day for about a year, and uh, worked at the sci-fi. And uh, probably the most interesting part of the costume is that uh, the optional part of working there, if you are a host, is you can choose to wear roller skates. So, <laughs> you know, being six foot four, which which I am, uh, I said, why not add, you know, two or three extra inches and wear roller skates? <laughs> and so for many people, I was very imposing as I as I seated them, but uh, always with a smile. Yeah, I feel your pain. I have the same problem with, um, <laughs> you know, even finding a pair of skates that fit is a lot. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite fun. Actually, I, uh, I hadn't skated since I was, you know, in like second grade at your, you know, your your school skating party. And so, um, but, you know, it's like riding a bike. You put them back on, you know exactly how to skate uh, after a couple hours anyway. And, you know, there's always things you can <laughs> guide yourself down the hallway with, with your hands. Learn how to skate backwards so I could talk to people while I was going. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I had some pretty harrowing roller rink experiences in my youth, so I, I try not to talk about or, or put skates on anymore. <laughs> a little but, hokey pokey accident there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we should explain to people maybe who have never been to sci-fi, you know, the whole idea of why are they wearing roller skates at this restaurant. I think people may not realize that this is very much sort of a throwback kind of restaurant where... You're supposed to be at this sort of drive-in theater and there's car hops bringing you food. And we'll we'll talk about the atmosphere and all that. Uh, of course, some, we all probably have to explain to some of the younger listeners what a drive-in theater really is because right. I think a lot of people don't know. Something that was super, super popular back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, drive-ins were, were super popular, like you said. Yeah, you saw drive-ins in... Uh, in you know, popping up around the country as early as uh, 1933. And so you had um, drive, you know, cars were, people were owning cars in the 20s and 30s. And so some 
some, you know, lucky fellow came up with some idea of, hey, let's have people come see movies in cars. And so the 1930s, you see a few drive-ins spring up. And then in the in post-war America, after World War II, you really see drive-ins become really a part of our uh, part of our culture. You know, after World War II, you had about 155. And then uh, by the 1950s, you had, you know, one, two, three thousand drive-ins across the country and this is where the whole family would sit in the car and and go and see a film and i think the height um i was reading on this and i think the height of drive-in theaters was really 1958 and there were actually 5,000 drive-ins in america and uh to give you an example or to give you a little uh um you know how many that really was there was 12,000 indoor theaters and 5,000 drive-in theaters yeah so i mean you know almost half as many theaters were actually driving theaters and you know today there's you know less than a thousand left but um that was just an experience for for a lot of people that a lot of people share and you can see this in movies you know you go see movies like i'm trying to think of uh, the outsiders mm-hmm. uh they go to the drive-in there and uh um lots of different films have captured that that feel of uh, going uh, uh grease is another one that uh, you see them go to the go to the the drive-in, but it's I don't really know, I don't know why Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the one that came up <laughs> first. So. You know, I wasn't going to go there, but uh, now you have yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, I grew up in New Jersey in the 70s, and we had a couple of them within 15, 20 minutes of my house. And I remember going, you know, with family and friends, and it was sort of the night out. You know, you pulled yeah, in, exactly. you walked up to the concession stand, and you hung that speaker on your car window and that was it. And that was your, your movie experience. Obviously, I'm very different than, uh, than what you get in a traditional theater. So I think for young people, this is something new they're being introduced to at the studios, while older people get to sort of relive their youth. And we'll talk about some of those B-movies that they get to see in this make-believe theater. Uh, we were talking offline about sort of everything in Walt Disney World is about story. Uh, and maybe let's talk about how and why this came to be in the first place, the sci-fi dining in theater. Sure. Well, this was really part of the first real expansion of the studios. You know, after when studios opened in 1989, there were a few attractions and uh, a few few restaurants open right from the beginning. But um, as early as uh, 1990, you see some expansion. Star Tours opens in December of 89 and the opening of New York Street and the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure. All those open right around there in 1989, 1990. And with this expansion of the park and opening up of some sections of the park, they they decided that they needed more places to eat. You know, the anticipated crowds, they needed more food service places. And so like with a lot of places at, uh, at Walt Disney World, they'll have, um, they'll have a couple of restaurants actually share a kitchen. And this is what happened at the Sci-Fi. The commissary, the ABC commissary there, and the Sci-Fi actually share a kitchen, or the kitchens are conjoined, so to share services and things like that. But um, uh, so, so you have the you know the Sci-Fi opening in uh, in 1991 as a part of this first real expansion of the studios, and the restaurant's located at the end of Commissary Lane there. So you have the commissary and the Sci-Fi kind of conjoined at the very end. You have uh, the sci-fi. So if you walk from the uh, the great movie ride there, you know, in that back alley, you have the commissary and the sci-fi. And the sci-fi is located on stage 14. So it keeps with that theming of being the studios. But then you also have this exterior marquee that uh, introduces you to 
what you think is a movie theater, but actually a restaurant based upon that. Yeah, and when you walk into the theater through the double doors, it, it's sort of almost off-putting to people because you expect that you're walking into this theater, and really what you see is this sort of, uh, you know, backstage kind of movie set with scaffolding and plywood and things like that and, and some uh, cool props up around the corners. And you've got this this check-in booth, which would sort of be something like you'd see if you went by, uh, you know, you were sort of driving into a drive-in theater. But mm-hmm. again, that sort of keeps in, like you said, with the idea that, remember, the studios are sort of broken up into two areas. There's the onstage area in the front, and then there's sort of the backstage area. You can see sort of that division where you hit commissary lane on one side and where you hit the backlot express on the other side where the security booths are. Mm-hmm. You can see that you are going really backstage and that sort of so it fits in that idea that you are on a the back lot of this real working movie set somewhere yeah i love that i love that it's a mixture of the two themes and it just comes right at you you have the ticket booth which represents you know you know the the drive-in movie but it's actually set in front of the scaffolding like you said and if you really look at the details there you'll see it's marked like like uh like a movie set it's just like the name is just stamped on there and uh, you really get a, a lovely blend of those two themes. Yeah, and if you look around very carefully, and I haven't been there in a while, I have to see if these things are still there. Uh, if you look up and around, obviously there are movie posters for some of the films that you were going to see when you get inside, but you'll also find some props. You'll find some old-style drive-in movie speakers. Is the bowl of eyeballs still there? Do you know? You know, I don't really recall the bowl of eyeballs. <laughs> I think maybe that was there when it first opened, and I'm not sure if it really lasted. Because <laughs> as I was doing my research and going through some of my old pictures, I'm like, I don't remember the. That, so just to fill you in, uh, up on one of the beams up above the check-in stand, as sort of as part of the scaffolding, there was a clear bowl of what looks like giant blue eyeballs that you'd find on some of those like googly-eyed <laughs> glasses somewhere but yeah that that very well may have disappeared i have to go on a research trip obviously <laughs> yeah i think i think mainly what they've got there uh are just basically things that you'd find backstage of a sound stage you've got you know you obviously got a ladder you've got um uh, just 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 different things that you know you would use to to tear that stuff down um you you do have the movie posters um for a few of the films that are that are that are showing, or at least the trailers are showing within the the theater there, but it's really it's really kind of uh, you know there's not a whole lot there. One of the one of the things that I that everyone pretty much notices is the ticket booth, and then right next to it is a is a stop sign that says speed limit five miles per hour. Please wait to be seated. And it's uh, if you look at what the stand is for the sign, it's actually an old white wall tire that uh, is holding the sign in place. So you know giving you that air or that aura of actually you know being a part of this drive-in yeah exactly and you know the theming sort of carries over so if you when you check in for your reservation you'll have to wait you know maybe a couple of minutes there's there's two entrances really to this i almost call it like a queue area the waiting area one is from commissary lane the other is from the writer's stop which is adjacent and if you walk into the writer's stop through those swinging very basic double doors, you see that that idea that you are sort of in a backstage coffee house almost carries over into there. And if you actually want to go and walk around the writer's stop, uh, the hostess will come in 
at least in my experience, maybe, I don't know if they do this mm-hmm. anymore, they'll come into the writer's stop and look for you and find you there in case you're using your time in there to wait. Yeah, that actually opened while I was uh, working there. They uh, they didn't, that door was not original. They actually uh, constructed that door uh, in 1996, and it was actually Ellen's by the book at that uh, at that right, time, right. based on the uh, Ellen DeGeneres show. And uh, that, that's actually gave us a lot of relief because, you know, mid-time, you know, the, the lunch rush there and at dinner you would have, you know, you know, 40, 50 people trying to stay within that small area or, you know, moving out into the street. You had to, you know, move between them there. And if you were on skates, you were, you know, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me, ma'am. <laughs> I don't want to ask you how many five-year-old kids tried to trip you on the skates too as well. <laughs> You know, I got pretty good at walking on the stoppers on the end, so yeah. <laughs> well, and when you when you do get called to go and sit in your seat, and I put seat sort of in air quotes, uh, you're led down this very sort of dark hallway, uh, again, sort of in that idea that you are backstage into a room that's even kind of darker once you get there, but that's when you sort of get the big reveal, and this... For you, especially as a host, must be great, and I like taking first-timers there. When they get this big reveal of the giant movie screen on one side and and palm trees all around and this incredible night sky that really gives you the sense that you are outside. And instead of tables, there are rows and rows, maybe 40 or so, of convertibles. Exactly. uh, They describe it as an otherworldly ambiance, you know, something you don't expect. And that actually goes all the way back to when they were first designing it. They wanted to give people that outdoor summer nighttime feel no matter what the weather was like outside. And so it's this very controlled environment where you go in. And, and like you said, that's a great place to show off, show people who've never been there just to just to walk down there and look in. And we had people all the time, you know, we'd walk in and say, hey, can I, you know, do you have a priority signal? They'd be like, oh, we just want to look. And lots of people would go down and just peek their head in there and they'd just be amazed and uh, just turn and look at this giant 40-foot screen and all these people sitting in those cars and, inside in the dark um eating is just an an amazing sight yeah it's you get the sense that you walked excuse me outside in the dark no matter like i said what time of day it is and if you didn't know or ever have experienced a drive-in movie theater this is sort of a microcosm of what you would have found the big screen surrounded by the palm trees the cars with the speakers on the side in the back across from the screen you would find the snack bar quote unquote, which really was the entrance to the kitchen. And if you looked up, you got these twinkling stars. So really, that you know, this is why I like this restaurant and wanted to sort of do this segment too, because it is a great example of imagineering and the use of theming when it comes to one of the dining experiences. Yeah. And if you really want to take this a step further, that, um, that feel inside the restaurant is an architectural style called atmospheric architecture. And, uh, it basically lets the visitors think they're outside while they're indoors. And it kind of, it's a take on a, a painting technique called atmospheric perspective that really gives you the feel that there is a lot more around than there really is. And so you walk into this, you know, that place could be, you know, 50 yards long or uh, a thousand yards long, but you'd never know just because of the forced perspective of the, of the mural of the hills. And, uh, you know, it's framed great by the, by the the fence that goes around that keeps the cars in and it's just just awesome to see yeah and if you are a photography enthusiast there are so many great opportunities for good shots in there because of 
the use of lighting and you know let's talk about the, the tables which really are cars there's there's three different kinds of cars there's a, a I think there's a three row car that has room for two adults in each row there is a two row car and there's also sort of picnic tables with umbrellas in the back yeah yeah and those uh, those uh, those uh, those are called table and chair cars the last cars that you mentioned and they're great because they are you know they're perfect seating for for any guest so if you have anyone with with uh, with disabilities you know they can they can sit there just like everyone else or it's great to get a uh, to get a seating that day so I mean if you walk in and you don't have a priority seating you know go straight back to the uh, to the uh, restaurant right when the park opens and they'll they'll basically give you that table later that day they won't actually put those tables in the reservation system that's one little tip there but yeah they've got all these different cars they that they created and uh, I think when they were throwing around this they were like you know do we want it to be a car that is a table or a table that is a car and so they came up with you know all these different ideas and I think the earliest concept uh, painting actually came out uh, prior to the studios and uh, if you look there's like there's like four or five different types of cars within this uh within this early concept painting and the cars look a little different they're a little more menacing they have like you know almost like scary looking monster or muscle cars with like scary grills and giant fins but they have some of them that are facing each other some of them that uh, don't have rows some of them that are you know just like a car and um, I think this, this they, they kind of toyed with this idea early on, but what they came up with was an original idea was to make these uh, the seat the rows of uh, seats actually like you know rows and uh, bench seating in a, in a vehicle. Yeah, and it makes sense because this is how you would be seated if you really were going to a drive-in movie. You know, if you're taking your family and mom and dad and the two and a half kids in the back seat, so. That works out well, and the interesting thing too is it's it's a lot of fun, especially for families. You know, usually mom and dad are sit up front. If the kids are old enough, they're sitting in the back, uh, much like you would if you were driving to the theater. It doesn't necessarily make for great conversation if it you're going you're with right. your family. If you're sitting in, <laughs> if if you're looking for maybe a party of four and you guys want to actually talk because you're allowed to talk because it's a drive-in, you would sit at one of the picnic tables. Otherwise, you'll all be sort of facing forward. So. You know, dad sitting up front would literally have to turn around and go, if you guys don't quit, I'm going to turn this car around or, you know, whatever it is that we say, we say to our kids in the back of the car. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, I'm kind of unique because I have a family of three. So it's kind of difficult because um, when we would, you know, we've we've taken our, our, our young son once. And they said, do you want to squeeze into one or do you want two? And it was actually kind of late in the day. And I was like, oh, I definitely want two. Because <laughs> one of us is going to get a break. <laughs> now, let me so, ask you this. If you have a party of two um, and they go and sit in one of the cars and another party of two comes in, they would sit that other party sort of in the same, quote unquote, car with you? Sure, sure. Because you're not actually interacting with the, with, you know, with other guests at all if you don't want to. You know, and the servers actually have some fun with that. They'll, uh, when they do take the, when they do seat the the, the car, um, the hosts or hostesses will come through and they'll um, they'll seat the cars and they'll seat you know two people in the front, and two people in the back, 
and uh, sometimes there's a party of four, and then they'll, they'll see two people behind them in, in the back row, and the host will kind of have fun with that, and they'll say, hey, you got some hitchhikers back there in the back. <laughs> what are you guys going to have uh, to drink? And uh, maybe uh, maybe these guys up here will pick up your bill, you you know. Chipping <laughs> right, for a little gas money. and Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun, you know, and then the servers will actually give out, uh, you know, little driver's licenses to uh, – to younger guests and they always thought that was very cool and um uh, that's something that i like to do when i work there was go around and do that and kind of play it up as much as possible and then the pe- person that's sitting in the front and the left side is always the driver so they're referred to as the driver and it's pretty fun and that's what i mean what i said at the intro about sort of the cast members making this experience you know it's it's sort of like 50s prime time when you get these waitresses or these car hops on roller skates coming by and they totally get into character making you think like you're sitting there in the 50s been transported to another place in time much like you do at, at prime time and they talk to you you're, you're in that front left position you are the driver and uh and they treat you that way and i was gonna ask you if they still did the uh the, the driver's licenses as well yeah, they did. Actually, my son uh, got one last uh, last December when we were there, so uh, it was pretty cool, you know. And he's, you know, he was three years old, so he was all about that. He thought that was the coolest thing. So, you know, one of his favorite attractions is Autopia, just because he gets to drive and he's big into cars and Herbie and all that. So it was, it was awesome. Yeah. If if uh, just a tip while I'm thinking about it, if you have a child that's in a high chair, don't really think these seats are going to be the ones that are conducive for you. Again, you probably have to go back to the. Uh, the picnic tables in the back, mm-hmm. uh, but it's all about the detail. And one of the things you have to do when you go into sci-fi is obviously take your time and look around. And you can wander around a little bit too. If you look closely at the cars, at the license plates, oftentimes throughout Walt Disney World, you'll find these very cryptic initials and numbers. And nine times out of ten, they probably reflect the Imagineer's birthday or their daughter's birthday or their office number or, or initials or whatever it is. But if you look closely as well, too, you'll find that, and this sort of carries over into the theme of the film that's playing, that most of the states, and Nate, correct me if I'm wrong, are places like Arizona, New Mexico, uh, California, which is going to go to the backstory. But these are states where a lot of UFO sightings were reported, especially in this time of the drive-ins in the late 50s. Yeah, that's exactly what they told us on our first day. <laughs> they said, you know, they, uh, you know, this isn't a place. Uh, so uh, when you see the cars out here, they've got different license plates, but the, the license plates represent different places where UFOs have been sighted. And uh, <laughs> I thought, what? But then, you know, <laughs> you know, being older and appreciating uh, all of the all of the detail that goes into it uh, much more than I did then. Uh, now it totally makes sense that they would do that. Um, the cars themselves are actually quite unique too. They were all built from scratch, and um, they didn't take an existing car to anything. So all these cars are nondescript in terms of their make and model, uh, but they did use some car parts in it. And really, one of the the, the best part is the, the the car's upholstery. And in shopping and looking around, they actually found some uh, what uh, you know what car people refer to as new old stock. And uh, new old stock is basically when you find uh, when you find groups that are uh, shops that manufacture um, 
new products that look just like old ones. So, you know, new steering wheels that look like, you know, a 1957 Chevy. And so they found the upholstery that would actually match the the consistency of upholstery back then. And they also used the same colors as well. So they found colors that were, you know, popular in, in the 1950s. So some teals and some oranges and, and things like that to, to, uh, to actually paint the cars with. Yeah, you, you totally get a sense, especially when you get that first reveal. You're like, wow. I, you almost get the sense that you're looking at real cars until you start getting closer and see that they're sort of loose-sized and they're shrunk down. And you can see those influences from the Chevys and from the Caddies and things like that. And uh, and my dad and mom, who grew up in this time, were like, yeah, this, this is what it looked like. You know, this is definitely what it looked like. You... Definitely do get the sense, though, that, again, and because you're talking about those license plates being from those parts of the United States, there it, you are, like you said, you are at a specific place. This is not sort of meant to be just a generic uh, drive-in movie theater. You are clearly supposed to be in a Southern California drive-in theater, again, which sort of ties in with the fact that you're at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which would probably be located in Southern California. <laughs> exactly, and that's what I used to say to people when I say... Uh, when they were seated was that you know uh welcome to our magical sound stage where you're going to be whisked back to the hollywood hills of the 1950s and that's right when the big reveal would be and they'd walk through the uh fence out in there and for guests that had never been there you know they would actually stop like i said and like kind of look around for a second and be like where am i this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the show really begins for them the second they pass through that threshold that's where that sort of um that portal really happens and that, and that transformation takes place. But, you know, we talked about this being dinner or lunch and a show. And clearly the, the biggest appeal and the biggest uh, laugh probably for people comes from the film, this film loop that's playing uh, on the screen in front of you. That's a compilation of not just movie trailers from some of the worst B movies and, and alien and monster movies, but uh, a lot of cool newsreels that sort of show the future that was predicted back in the late 50s. There's some cartoons. Uh, there's a few little cameos in there as well. And like you'd see in a movie theater, you've got commercials for the snack bar. Again, I'm thinking back to, to Danny, you know, sitting in Greece. <laughs> that, that, the same clip actually plays, the one where the hot dog jumps into the bar, and it's the same one. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but the clips, like you say, they're, they're, they're almost like unintentionally funny. It's like you get the sense that these were actually like films that, you know, and it's almost like you're, you know, it's it's an awkward moment where should I laugh? Should I be laughing at this? Because this is actually a popular film on time. So you have films like, you know, Plan 9 from Outer Space and uh, The Amazing Colossal Man and The Horror of Beach Party. And you've got all of these, you know, you know, movies today that you would never, ever expect to be made. I've got Frankenstein time. meets the space monster on Blu-ray. I'm just saying. <laughs> So. <laughs> you got that? <laughs> I, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. They got it right. The one guy. <laughs> no, no, no. These are all Mystery Science Theater <laughs> 3000 films, you know. But and and there's um there's cartoons too. There's cartoons in there. You know, there's that the cat that hated people. There's mm -hmm. a Tom and Jerry cartoon in there. Uh, there's also a Disney character that makes a, ca a cameo in there as well. Yeah, this Donald Duck. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Yeah, that's a great um, that's a great film as well. If you have the Disney Treasures DVD with Tomorrowland, they actually have that that specific uh, short. I don't know the name of it, but it's a, it's basically about Martians taking over uh, taking over uh, 
Earth, but in doing that, they go to Mars and find out the creatures that are there. It's pretty cool. You talked about the futuristic um, newsreels. One of my favorite ones is of the video phone. <laughs> There's a lady sitting there at the at the uh, screen, and the screen, you know, is about you know four by five, and it's like got rounded corners like an old television. <laughs> right. and, and at the end, it's like, but you don't have to wait till 1957 to get this. <laughs> it's, it's actually really cool. And then they have uh, another thing uh, was uh, some pseudo like music videos too. Right. I think uh, Flying Purple People Eater is another one. And uh, they show different clips from cartoons. But uh, I think my favorite part of that is actually when Walt Disney comes on the screen. Yeah, there's a um, – you're talking about the, the Garko and Walt yes. Um, yes. from the Mars and Beyond film from uh, 1957, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And you can uh, – that's a – that's a that's a clip that they also showed, if you remember, uh, back in the uh, Space Mountain queue and SMTV. Right, right, right. Yeah, President Garko addressing a, <laughs> addressing uh, Earth. So, yeah, I love that part. But uh, what's really cool about this is kind of like, you know, we talked about the age of, uh, of drive-ins and in the 1950s. And really all these movies are really the, the culmination of the atomic age. And, and the space age coming together and um, really like the fears of like radiation or, or a nuclear war and, and this new um, – this renewed interest in space and the world, uh, the world beyond. And, you know, at this time we really had this fear of the unknown and that's why, you know, the two most popular genres of movies that came out in the 1950s were sci-fi movies and westerns. And um, so this, you know, this really capitalizes on on sci-fi movies. And we feared the unknown and, and by unlocking the secrets of the atom and simultaneously venturing beyond the realm of our own planet, you know, we created this genuine fear that movie makers at that time really capitalized upon by creating these science fiction films. But the problem lies in that um, the budgets for these movies were so small <laughs> that we, we look back and we laugh at these, um, their attempts because, you know, they didn't pretend to be suspenseful. You know, there were scary movies made in the 40s and 50s. You go back and, you know, you watch a Hitchcock movie and it's, you know, it's still relatively scary. You know, these didn't pretend to be suspenseful at all. Instead, they showed us what they thought monsters and aliens really looked like. And so we can look back and laugh at their cheap special effects and, you know, bad acting that went along with it. Right, but there there was this legitimate fear that people had, and you're, you're talking about the the Roswells and all these UFO sightings. So when you know Invasion of the Saucer Men and Robot Monster came out, you're, you know that was sort of playing on the hysteria of the time. That was like you said, mixed with that that idea of that that fun sense of futurism that was going on as well. Yeah, so I kind of wonder, you know, were these films that people really were scared at or did they laugh at back then like we do today? Because, you know, when you see like the hokey costumes and you see like, you know, Robot Monster and and the giant Gila monster like, you know, going across, you know, it's probably going at like, you know, half a mile an hour across the beach and all these, you know, teenagers are running scared. It's, you know, were were they films that were just kind of like hokey or were they, they actually scary? Because, you know, one of my favorite films is Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956, which is not really a monster movie. It's more of a psychological thriller, and it, it really doesn't fit into this uh, particular uh, realm of films. But, you know, I just wonder what, what people thought when they saw these films. Were they, did they laugh like we did, or, um, or were they really genuinely afraid? 
I think there was a legitimate fear of the <laughs> devil girl from Mars. Because <laughs> you know right. somebody at a studio green-lighted that film. was like, yeah, this is going to be a hit. This is going to be huge. That's awesome. Is that the one where they need women? And, <laughs> Mars uh, needs women, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the great thing about the um, the films is that there is no beginning or end. There is no showtime to see. It's just a loop. It runs, what, about 47 minutes or something like that? So chances are, no matter when you get there for your meal, you'll be able to see the whole thing. And again, not something that you need to or probably want to watch from beginning to end anyway. Yeah, and that was one of the popular questions that we would get working there was, what time does the film start? (laughs) (laughs) And so it basically became like a pre-rehearsed you know, rehearsed speech that you gave that, well, there is no film. It's a running loop of trailers and cartoons and and newsreels from the 1950s that go along with the theme of science fiction. You know, so but it was very, you know, uh, people were people were excited then because they said, oh, you can see when you can sit whenever. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And the fact that there was only, you know, they saw the whole thing. They're they're done. They're ready to go. So but obviously, Nate, people are going in there not for necessarily the entertainment. They're going in to eat. They're going in for the food. And for a long time, I think um, as good as the theming was for the restaurant, Sometimes the food had a bad reputation. You know, I heard people saying, well, you know, it's kind of counter service food at, at, at table service prices. Other people really like the menu. Um, I have friends who are like, hey, you can get flavored Coke there like you could in the 50s. So that's reason enough uh, to go in. And obviously the menu over the years has changed just a little bit. And, and I'm going to do sort of a companion live restaurant review um, with this with this show at some point. But I'll just quickly go over some of the things you can get um, because it is more than just sort of burgers and fries. There's a lot of different appetizers like uh, chili and spinach artichoke dip, um, onion rings, which I actually really like. And for entrees, you've got steak and shrimp pasta. You've got a beef and blue salad, tofu, St. Louis style ribs, a grilled chicken sandwich, Reuben, lots of different desserts. Um, Obviously you're in the studios, so you can get beers and wines and there's a bunch of Cosmic Concoctions, where you can get the souvenir globe. So you can get a lunar landing, a comet, a comet, a space invaders, a space monkey, an orbiting Oreo, Oreo shake with Godiva chocolate liqueur. That, that's worth the price of admission right there. So um, there is a, a lot to choose from. But did you sort of get that same sense for a while that, um, and I think still now, sci-fi kind of has a bad rap? Yeah, the, the stigma that goes with sci-fi is... You know, awesome experience, you know, food, meh, meh. you know, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but, but, you know, if, if you're not into that, you can always go and just have a milkshake, right. you know, stop in for, for dessert. They have great desserts. Um, just like, you know, every place does has great, great desserts at Walt Disney world, I think, but it's, uh, you know, someplace where, where you can stop in just, just in the afternoon. And like I said, there are places, there are tables that they have that they don't seat for, uh, reservations, the picnic tables in the back and the table and chair cars in the middle. You know, you don't have to have a, a priority seating for you. You just have to be sure and get them early. But, uh, that, that's, that's another tip. Yeah. And now I, I may be losing my mind in my old age but years ago did they used to serve like a little basket of popcorn when you first sat down 
They did. They did. Okay. Actually, um, by the time I worked there, that they, actually stopped. And people have asked, you know, you know, where's the popcorn? And I would have to say, well, they don't serve it anymore. But I never uh, worked there when they did. Um, but when they first opened, they actually did. And it was just so messy, apparently, was that, you know, you'd have to have somebody come by and sweep through just because, you know, you want it to look like a drive-in. You don't want it to look like a bunch of cars parked on a bed of popcorn. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, you, uh, you know, and, and popcorn is one of those things that, you know, you drop a couple, you're not even going to notice. And so they would end up going between the cars and end up on the floor. And so uh, your your table turnover time was affected by that. And so sure. to get more people in and have them get to experience it, they actually stopped doing the popcorn a couple of years after it opened. Well, you know, to sort of... Um counter the the bad reputation for food and maybe to highlight uh, another great point about the restaurant back in 2004 when the disney magazine was out this actually won the reader's choice award for the best restaurant for kids and i think that's one of the things that is a big appeal about this restaurant still to this day is it is a great place to take your kids because they will just they'll lose their mind that they're sitting in the car uh, and seeing all these i mean they'll have a great laugh at the films that are on the screen yeah, it's 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 awesome, especially um, especially little boys that are into cars. You know, um, <laughs> my son just flipped out when he, he found out that he was actually going to be sitting in the front seat of the car and and be able to sit there uh, alongside other cars. Thought it was just just awesome. Yeah, I took my kids a couple of years ago. Um, they liked it. I mean, they were actually watching the the film intently like they weren't scared they weren't been like oh this is silly i watch you know better things on tv now and uh, like you said they actually really love the peanut butter chocolate cake for dessert i think that's why we were we sat there for so long um i think like we said before if you're going with a large group this is probably not the best place to go if you're going with maybe a group of what do you say maybe six or more um, probably not the best, but if you're a family of four, even or maybe a family of five, uh, this is really a, a fun dining experience. Yeah, very fun. I think, um, I think, like we said at the beginning, I think this, when you look at sort of these themed dining experiences around Walt Disney World, especially in the theme parks, I think this is sort of the quintessential mix of Disney Imagineering and theming. Uh, really sort of at its best. And I think that's why sci-fi dining continues to be so popular, despite maybe the reputation for food, which, again, I want to sort of do a a review of the food while we're there to see if it's still warranted. But I think it's still a great experience. It's almost like an attraction in and of itself uh, over at the studios. Yeah, I would argue that the studios actually has the best selection of restaurants when it comes to great theming and the experience that you get between the primetime, the Brown Derby, the Mama Melrose and the sci-fi. I, you know, that I put those as the best, maybe not the best restaurants, but the best, you know, theming when you, when you come to have, have a good time and, and experience a show and experience, you know, cast member interaction. They're just, they're just, they're just great. I, I absolutely. I've 50s primetime is by far one of my favorite Dining experiences um, again. Not I. I think California Grill might have the best food, but overall, because it's interactive, and I think that's something that the studios does a great job of bringing to you. All these restaurants that you mentioned transport you to a different time and a different place, and I think they're so so very well done. Of course, now I'm starving for a Cobb salad from Brown's. <laughs> Despite the fact that it's midnight when we're recording this. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
So okay. What I'd love to hear, Nate, is I'd love to hear other people's opinions and reviews if they've had a chance to go to Sci-Fi Dine-In. Uh, if not, if this maybe encourages you to go, I'd love to hear what you think afterwards. To find more Nate Parrish, you can go and visit betamouse.net, and you can also visit wedwayradio.com. That's right, wedwayradio.com for uh, a podcast that my brother and I uh, have done for almost two years now. Uh, Wedway Radio looks at the... Uh, really like the history side of Disney. We look at different eras. Um, you know, we look at projects like the 1964 World's Fair, do a lot of episodes on that. Awesome. Definitely a good listen to. Nate, you got to come back. We got to do this again. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Gentlemen, Thanks for coming on. After due consideration and thorough calculation, it is my unequivocal opinion that there is absolutely no life on the planet Mars. <laughs> That's going to do it for this week's show. I'm going to make this outro very quick because, as you can tell, I am fighting a flu and I don't want to put you through having to hear me sound like this. Don't forget, I want the show to be interactive. Please email me at lou at wdwradio.com. If you want to be heard on the air, you can call the voicemail at 888-703-2171. Be sure and come by and visit the website over at wdwradio.com. There you can sign up for our newsletter. You can connect with me and the show through Twitter and Facebook talk with other Disney fans in our fun, family-friendly discussion forums, read our blog posts, check out our photos, videos, and so, so much more. Be sure and tune in to the WDW Newscast every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Or if you can't catch the live video broadcast and interactive chat where we discuss this week's news, you can always check them out on youtube.com slash Radio. I also have to take a quick second and express my sincere gratitude to all of you that went out and voted for the show for over at the podcast awards. I found out the other night that WDW radio was voted best travel podcast for 2010. Of course, that is all thanks to, and because of, and for you. And I am truly, truly grateful to all of you who have listened to the show since episode one, to those of you who have just found the show recently. And again, to everybody that took the time to go out daily and vote for the show. Um, it means a lot to me. And it shows truly that you guys are all my friends. So thank you very much for doing that. I also want to congratulate all the other shows that were nominated in the category as well. I was truly honored to be mentioned alongside them. They all put out a great show each week. So my congratulations and thanks go out to them as well. Don't forget our upcoming Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World. Next month, January's Meet is going to be over Marathon Weekend. Most likely, we're going to follow tradition, have it on Saturday after the Half Marathon at the Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station in the afternoon, probably around 1 or 2 o'clock. Visit DisneyMeets.com for details. I'll also post a link to the Facebook event page as well. February's meet is most likely going to be the weekend before we leave on the Disney Dream. That'll probably be uh, February 26th. I'll have more details as we get closer. March's meet might be the week when we come back from the Disney Dream Cruise. Haven't finalized details as yet. Again, stay tuned to DisneyMeets.com for more information. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They're my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within just a couple of miles of Walt Disney World. You can visit them over at allstarvacationhomes.com. And the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin still is Santa's favorite resort. Lots of special holiday events going on right up until Christmas, including an elf tuck-in on Christmas Eve. 
You don't need to be staying at the resort in order to take advantage of a lot of things they have going on there. Visit santasfavoriteresort.com for more information. If you're interested in joining us on our Adventures by Disney trip the week before the D23 Expo in 2011, it is going to take place August 14th through the 19th. Perfect tour and timing for D23 Expo attendees. The Backstage Magic Tour includes going backstage over Jimmy Kimmel Live, a tour of the Jim Henson Company Studio, private tours of Walt Disney Imagineering and the Walt Disney Studios, a private tour of some of Hollywood's famous landmarks, behind the scenes over at Disneyland, a tour of the El Capitan Theater, we're going to meet a puppeteer over at Jim Henson's Creature Shop, have a character breakfast at Disneyland, have some other VIP experiences, and of course, a few surprises as well. I'll put a link in the show notes. This event is almost completely sold out. We have reserved the entire Adventures by Disney, so it is just going to be a group of WW Radio listeners. If you are interested, again, just a couple of spots left. I'll put a link in this week's show notes for more information. Of course, there's lots more to come in 2011 as I'm working on other projects and products and a few surprises that I'll be announcing over the next few weeks and months. Definitely, please stay tuned. And in this holiday season, no matter what or how you celebrate, I want to give you my sincerest best wishes for a very, very happy holiday to be spent with friends and family. And thank you all for giving me the gift of being able to share what I love with you each and every week. As always, guys, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. And most of all, I hope that you guys are inspired to take those first steps towards pursuing your passion and following your dream. And once you do, always keep moving forward. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in this and every week. So until next time, see ya. He's too much. I never... Good evening, Lou. It's Justin, again, from an Arsley, New York, and I hope I hope you wish you a very happy 200th episode of your podcast of the WDW Radio Show. I really got to say, it's another huge milestone since the last 100 episodes, so this is going to be even better. I just listened to your Epcot Center retrospective, and you mentioned with Ryan Wilson that the two songs of energy you make the world go round and the universe of energy is is that you kind of missed out on it is still out for the happiest celebration on earth and if you have the happiest celebration on earth official album you'll have those two songs so that you don't have to miss it but the regular universe of energy the instrumental and the ambient ambient is still in the in the universe of energy, so I kind of like I kind of love those two back in '82, and I really absolutely enjoy the two songs, and I still have them with me and my albums, which is part of my Walt Disney World album and collection, so that you know you could hear those two again, uh, like in the past. So I hope you enjoy your 200th episode, and of course you could hear more of your WDW newscast every Wednesday, 7.30. All right, Lou, have a good night, and good luck to your 200th episode on Sunday. See ya real soon. Hey, Lou, Jonathan Harville, J.J. Harville on Twitter, calling you from Birmingham, Alabama. I was, this is my first time to call, and I'm calling to congratulate you on your 200th episode. I just finished it, and I absolutely loved it. Thank you for all that you do. 
I hope to meet you someday, Lou. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Gary Z from Staten Island. and long listening to your show. It's a fantastic show. Just listen to your 200 episodes. Very good. Excellent um, reminiscing down memory lane there. I just want to say you got a great show. My even my, my daughters even love it. Sometimes even call your Uncle Lou. It's great. I mean, what you have uh, given to the listeners is fantastic. All these little hidden gems that I never knew before are in front of me now because of your show. Thank you so much. Thank you for the 200 shows. Thank you for all uh, the information you give us. You have a great day, and you have one of the great podcasts out there. You're the best. All right, Lou, you take care of yourself. And looking forward to another 200 or more episodes. Take care, Lou. Bye now. Lou, Ronnie B. in Birmingham, Alabama. Congrats on your 200 show. Sorry I'm late on the call. My best, uh, my favorite part of your show, rather, is uh, the interviews that you do and all the, the magical interviews that you've had on your podcast. I would definitely have to say that number 34 or episode number 34 is my favorite. When you were interviewed, Ron Schneider, the original Dreamfinder character in the parks, uh, just the fact that he was listening to the podcast prior to that episode and contacted you was cool enough, and I think that says uh, that says a lot about the show that you put on every day or every week. And uh, just the, my personal memories of meeting the Dreamfinder and Figma in the park go back very far to uh, the mid-'80s. And uh, if there's any chance you could do a follow-up interview with him, I think that would be fantastic. Um, just to talk a little bit more about what he did, and that's awesome. But I will... Uh, Hopefully get to see you and meet you around uh, March or April. Family's planning a trip, and I'm uh, planning on being down there. Thanks for what you do, Lou. I enjoy the podcast every week. Hey, Lou. This is Emily Collins. I just want to congratulate you on your 200th episode. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's me, Tammy, Voyage of Ariel, and I just wanted to say congratulations on your 200th show. I've been listening to uh, your shows for eight months, and I'm all, I've almost listened to all the um, all the episodes. I'm still working on it, and my first one I don't remember what top ten it was, but it was the top ten with Tim Foster, and that's what really got me hooked because you two are just so funny, and it's just been so wonderful just listening to you, you know, present Disney news and interviews and such like this, and. I really want to thank you because, you know, you give me my daily dose of Disney every day and uh, my family enjoys it as well. And um, it will only be 11, um, it will only be three more months until we meet on the cruise. And uh, it won't even be a year since I first um, discovered WDW Radio when I meet you. So this is going to be so much fun. And uh, no matter what you say, Lou, you're going to do some karaoke because it's going to be my birthday on February 26th. So, and that's like the night before we go on the cruise, so you're going to do some karaoke, okay? I think we, you should sing Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Ain't No Valley Low, okay? Okay. But anyways, okay. <laughs> so, um, I hope you have a great Christmas, and tell Deanna and the kids I said hi, okay? And congrats again on your 200th show. Bye, everybody. Hi, Lou. It's Charlene Nagy from Buffalo, New York. Can't wait for the cruise. I'm getting excited. Um, and congratulations on the 200th episode. It is awesome. Loving watching you in the box. 
I, for some reason, can't get into the chat room, and I'm really sorry about that. But I have to say, um, you know, having you guys on, um, you alone, uh, sharing, you know, your experiences of the parks and Disney World and with the guest uh, appearances of uh, all of, you know, the Sherman Brothers and Jim Corcus and just everybody and, and having, like, the, the, the group team meetings that you have um, and just having us lots of people there is, it brings Disney World into my life and I absolutely love, love hearing it and it makes me feel like I'm there when I'm really back here in the deep snows of Snowtown, USA, Buffalo, New York at right this moment. So... Um, thank you for all of you do. Um, it, it's great. Um, love having you and Becky on, sharing what we need to learn about for things changing at Disney. Um, it's just it's awesome. Thank you so much once again for all you do. Looking forward to going on the WDW Radio Cruise with you and all my Deck 7 cool kids. Um, can't wait. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou, just wanted to wish you congratulations on your 200th show, and we love it. Keep up the work, Tim in Swanee, Georgia. Hey, Lou, this is Jeff Mowat from Tyler, Alabama. Uh, my wife and kids now are going to be headed down to Disney World here later this week. This is the third consecutive Christmas season that we've had the opportunity to visit the parks. It's become somewhat of a Christmas tradition for the family. Uh, it's also become somewhat of a tradition for us to surprise our kids with the trip in a special way. The first year, we loaded them into the car and pretended like we were taking them to school and putting a DVD into the car DVD player. My wife's a teacher, and she had talked Santa Claus into going on camera when he was at her school doing pictures with the kids. So our kids got to hear it straight out of Santa's mouth that they were going to Disney World right then. So uh, we literally pulled out the driveway and headed south. Last year, I made another DVD with a uh, Disney trivia game that I personalized for the kids. When they won the game, they got an early Christmas present, and it was uh, luggage with plane tickets inside for the next day, so they had a little more notice that time. This year, we wanted to let them know about it a little earlier, and we wanted to raise the bar with how we told them. So on the first Saturday in October, we had the first annual Mohawk Family Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. We started at 8 in the morning and finished at about 8.30 that night. Uh, we had face painting, and we had pumpkin painting. We had a hidden Mickey contest using digital cameras and Mickeys in and around our house. Uh, we ate Peckles Bill burgers for lunch and miniature turkey legs, i.e. chicken legs for dinner. Uh, to cap off the night, we watched our home video of last year's trip. But this version of the video was a little different from what they'd seen before. At the end, I built a trailer with uh, some still pictures and sound effects from the Wilderness Lodge. And uh, it, it ended with the words coming December 2010. So that's how we told them this year. Pretty much a whole day affair, and the, the whole day is chronicled on YouTube if you ever get really bored. I also just wanted to say uh, congratulations on your 200th show. I really enjoy the show. I uh, love how informative and especially how family-friendly it is. I can I can turn it on and let my kids listen to it with no problems. Uh, I always look forward to it. It's the first of every week. Only wish your 200th show would have been would have fallen one week later uh, because we'll be in the parks the following weekend. I've been really disappointed that I'm going to miss out on that. But anyway, just wanted to thank you for the show and ask you to keep up the good work. And uh, just want to congratulate you on the 200 show. Thanks a lot, Lucy.